Bring it in. Welcome back to the read option. I don't know why, what voice the fuck that was. Hi, welcome back to the read option. Uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a weird mood right now. Master's week, Dano. I don't know. Yeah, dude, that was really bizarre. What a weird way to start up, start the pod. Uh, excited. Great pod for y'all today. Uh, we are going to touch a little bit on the final four and the uh, national championship from March Madness, but the main crux of today's episode will be Masters Week. Uh, I've said it many times on this pod. It is my favorite sporting event of the year, more so than uh, the Super Bowl, more so than pretty much anything else. Uh, obviously, unless my team is playing in one of those events, it's just the best. It's just it's four days. It's beautiful scenery. It's it's iconic golf. Um, and there's obviously a ton of storylines going into this year's Masters with um, you know, the live guys coming back after kind of a, a full year away, almost, uh, obviously we have a kind of a big three in golf right now with Scheffler and McElroy and Rom. So we're going to get into all that. Uh, that'll be the main part of the pod, but you heard his voice earlier. Scotty's here with me because Scotty also, I would say agrees with me that the masters is one of the biggest, if not his favorite sporting event of the year as well. Ah, uh, the azaleas, the egg salad, the pimento cheese. The Azalea Cocktails, the Par 3, the opening round with Gary Player and Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson teeing it up tomorrow at 740 Eastern. Oh, there's nothing like it in sports. It's it a is. tradition unlike any other, for real. <laughs> it is. No, it is. And I'm, I'm very excited to dive in and talk about that. Um, we do need to finish up. Obviously, we spent the most of the last few weeks on this pod, at least, talking about the NCAA tournament, March Madness. Uh, the final four was awesome. San Diego State hits the game winner at the buzzer. Um, the first game back in Houston in that stadium, first basketball game since the Chris Jenkins shot. So back-to-back buzzer beaters. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, I, I thought the final four was great. Obviously, I mean, look, UConn, they're the national champs. They were wire to wire. I think even when we went through the Elite Eight and um, – and we kind of made our picks there. Like, it just kind of felt like this is UConn, man. Like, I, I Boy, was I, I wrong. <laughs> well, like, I wanted FAU. I wanted San Diego State or, yeah. or Miami. I wanted one of those schools to get a chance. But UConn was just it, – it. I didn't want to admit it in the moment, but it did remind me of the 2018 Villanova team where it was just like they were just rolling through everybody. And the way that they rolled through Miami, I don't think there was anybody who thought that, you know, San Diego State – what, you know, had a chance going into that national championship game. No, no. And it was, it was, I mean, wire to wire, uh, like you said, they just seemed like the most dominant team and they did exactly that throughout the entire tournament. And, uh, you know, I think uh, they in particular, you know, people are, are especially during the elite eight, sweet 16, even uh, everybody who's, who's starting to tune in to, uh, to the end of the tournament, uh, or it tunes in in the middle of the tournament just to kind of catch up on what's going on um, for those who are uh, a little more casual. UConn was by far one of the best teams in the country down the last uh, month or two of the season. They had Absolutely. one bad month in, in, in January and, and, and everybody forgot about them, but that's, that's some of the, uh, the issue with um, 
with the regular season in, in NCAA basketball. Nobody pays attention to it. Everybody, all anyone, even the conference tournaments, all anyone cares about is all right. Who uh, give me the give me the rundown once we get to uh, to the end of uh, or the middle of March here? Uh, what am I looking at? Who who are the the real contenders? And then everybody boils it down to four or five or six teams. That's how why you saw most of the brackets picking Alabamas and the, and the Houston's of the world uh, to win the national championship. And that's you know a perfectly reasonable way to do it. But things like the UConn run get ignored throughout the, yeah. the entirety of the season. And, and they play great basketball all year round, uh, except, except for just, a, like I said, a three, three and a half week stretch there in January, but uh, kudos to them. They did, they did an amazing job. Well, and they kind of threw people off the scent. I mean, they dominated the big East tournament. I mean, they just, they came in as one of the best teams in the country. And, and I think for, again, a lot of the casual fans, they see the four next to the name in the seating and you think, okay, you know, yeah, pretty good team. Probably not going to make a run you know, or maybe could get to a final four if everything works out. Um, but they were, the, the other thing was like, this tournament was very weird. Yeah. Like, well, and that's, that's what we said going into it. Like, I think the one thing I nailed of anything going into this, you know, year's tournament when we did our picks and we filled out our bracket was that I thought that there was a very good chance that we were going to see a non one or two seed win the title this year, because it just felt like, yeah, Alabama's the best team in the country, but, they weren't really that much better. They had really bad losses. There wasn't like a clear cut group of yeah. top teams. Houston's another example, right? Like, yeah, Houston had a really, really good regular season. They, lo- they lost the Temple and they also didn't have the strongest strength of schedule. Uh, you know, you just look around. Obviously, Purdue is Purdue, right? Like, that's what they do every year, it seems like, mm-hmm. as, as a high seed. They always end up getting bounced in the first weekend. Uh, and then obviously Kansas with the Bill Self situation, no one really knew what to expect out of them. So going into it, the, the top four seeds, yeah, were they they were correct. Like those were the right seeds. You know, they did it right. But this year just felt like there was a top 20 teams that you're like, yeah, if everything breaks right, this team could win a national title. And that yeah. is including like an FAU who, I mean, they they would have at least, if it wasn't for the buzzer beater, right, they were one shot away from getting a chance to try to take down UConn. Now, I don't think they would have. I don't think anybody was going to stop UConn, but they were at least right there. Yeah, uh, to be sure. And and to go back to that game a little bit, I mean, you got to put that away if you're FAU. You're up 14 with uh, with what, less than, than 20 minutes to go. Yeah. So with into the second the half, second you got to put that away. Um, but that, again, that's where experience takes over. People forget that San Diego State team was the number one team in the country in 2020 before the tournament got canceled. All yeah. those guys still stayed there. Um, and, and Dutcher for, for as, as good as that stretch was down the, the second half of that game against Florida Atlantic, how you don't call a timeout in that scenario is beyond me. Yeah. And, and it goes, it speaks to what I, I said in the last podcast, talking about how disappointed I was not only in the, in the play calling playmaking really uh, and shooting in the tournament from the teams, but the coaching has just seemed to be atrocious through uh, through the tournament as well. Not to mention the refereeing. Uh, well, more on that for sure uh, throughout the the rest of the years of this podcast. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I that that was a testament to the to the coaching element of the uh, of the game. And and I mean, um, it, it was weird. I just don't know how you don't call that timeout, but it worked out for them, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, that's a feel thing, right? Like if you feel like, hey, my guy can go down. And get- pull off a shot, but that's kind of what that San Diego state team was the whole tournament, right? Like they, I kind of felt like they just always found a way, even if they were down seven or eight, 
you know, like they, they were down in every game in the, in the back half of the second quarter or second half. And they kept finding ways to come back. And I think that's honestly, cause I've heard some of the talk too. It's like, well, UConn, the highest seed that they had to play the entire time was a three seed and they throttled them, you know, by that, that's the one that they won the most, but that is true. Like they didn't have the hardest stretch to get to the, you know, to, to the, they can't control that though, man. And this no, is the you beauty play of the tournament, right? Exactly. But, but so- I look at, I look at San Diego state and I go, well, San Diego state is a team that like, they kept fighting back against the best teams in the country, including Alabama, right? They were down in that game. They came back and won that game against Alabama and they won it comfortably, right? Like San Diego state is in that top tier. I think with UConn, I just think that top tier there is no elite elite, but there was again, like 20 teams that were all kind of in that same range. San Diego state was one of those teams. They were one of those teams that hung around and they proved it in the tournament. And what was interesting was like in every game that San Diego state got down in, they crawled their way back. Right. And eat again, FAU, right. They're, they're down 14 to FAU in the second half. They found their way back into the game, won that game in the national championship game. San Diego State with like five minutes left got it to five points. They 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 cracked back like they've done in every yeah. single game that they were down, got it to a five-point lead. But this is where I think you got to give UConn credit. And I would disagree with the people who said that they didn't have to play anybody who was super elite or really, really good, is that they were able to put the stop on San Diego state when they got hot in the end of the first or at the end, the end of the national championship game, they kept that yeah. lead, even though it got down to five where every other team, Alabama, FAU, whoever else they played blew it. Creighton, same thing. We saw UConn Miami, not same blow thing. it. Yeah. Miami did the same thing that San Diego state did right on the other side of the final four. They, they were in almost every game. They, they found themselves in a spot where, Hey, we got to rally and come back. And it was on the back of good shooters like Isaiah Wong, like Jordan Miller. Um, And, and, uh, you know, UConn did the same thing to Miami in the final four that they did to a similar team, San Diego state in the, in the national championship game, just hold them off. I hate the argument, the hindsight argument of, uh, well, UConn was a, first of all, UConn's underseeded out of four, obviously. Uh, And and the argument of, well, if they were in Alabama's region, then, you know, maybe they don't get to the national championship. And I'm like, you're only saying that because they won and because of hindsight, right? Like yeah. I hate, I hate the, the hypothetical argument. They won the games in front of them. That's what you're supposed to do in the tournament. That's what it's all about. It is. It is. And that, and that's what they did. I, I do think it's fair to at least point out that like, yeah, they didn't have the toughest stretch to get there, but ultimately they beat really good teams along the way. Like we talked about UCLA and Gonzaga as two of like top. And we saw that game. It was one of the best games of the tournament, right? UCLA and Gonzaga only ever play bangers. They had that awesome game in the, what was it? The sweet 16, right? And then UConn gets a chance in the elite eight to go up against Gonzaga. And what do they do? They throttle them by like 25 points, you know? So it's, it's, it's easy to say like, yeah. Oh, well look who they played. They didn't have to play anybody more than a three seed. Well, when they did play that three seed, they beat them by almost 30. So like, Maybe, maybe UConn was just that good. And ultimately I think they were because I, I don't think the difference, because there are many years where the difference between a one seed and a four seed is a huge gap. Yeah. This was not one of those years. The gap between a one seed and a four seed was really, really close. And ultimately I think that makes a really compelling thing for college basketball. Now I, the other thing I want to talk about here too, with it is 
you know, I, I saw a lot of people being like, look, we love the Cinderella story the first weekend. Then by the second weekend, we're like, oh, okay, like, yeah, it's fun. If they win, everyone goes nuts. But people, you know, say they don't like Cinderella's in the final four. I think those people are just not fun, if yeah. I'm being honest, right? Jeez. And the people who, because Ooh. whoever makes that argument, and I love like Ryan Rosillo, I'm a huge fan, and, and I've referenced him on this podcast a ton. But the people who make that argument, and he was making that argument on a podcast on Sunday, you just sound like a douche. You just sound like a, well, people only actually like it when it's the blue buds. Oh, you like your Cinderella story. People don't actually watch. Which, for the record, I think from a rating standpoint, that is true. And we have Agreed. seen that. We've seen that play out. But at the same time, if somebody likes it and somebody's like, yeah, like when FAU was in there, like I'm rooting for FAU, right? I root for the, the underdog in every single game, unless my team's playing on it, just right. as a sports fan. Because the underdog story is way more fun. Right. I don't care about the elitism of like, oh, well, the best teams and the blue blood programs, the, uh, the, the elite thing. eightism. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> and, and the same thing with like uh, in the NFL, like people always shit on like the Giants, yeah. like and, and this is the argument I've made in college football. And we've had this debate a million times with expanding the field. It's like, you know, what's fun when a team comes out of nowhere and wins, you know, like this whole like the best team should always win things. 90% of times in sports, the best team ends up winning. So why is it a problem that one out of every 10 championships you have, a team that maybe wasn't supposed to be there found a way to do it? Because that adds drama and excitement. And it's people remember Gordon Hayward playing in a national championship for Butler. You know, people remember that shit. People mm -hmm. don't remember who won the 20, you know, pick a random year. Who won the, the, the 2007 national championship? Uh, you got sure yeah seems like it i <laughs> it might have been i honestly I, I don't know but i remember when butler was there you you know, in I north carolina <laughs> yeah i remember when vcu and george mason made it to the final four i remember mm -hmm. i'll remember when saint peter's made it to the lead eight i'm gonna remember that shit and just yeah. enjoy the ride you know because ultimately yeah what happens they if they make it to the elite eight or the final four they probably get shellacked and then people are like oh well you know, that game wasn't fun. Well, look at this year. We had Miami and UConn, two huge programs, right? That game was an absolute disaster. We had Gonzaga yeah. and UConn in the Elite Eight. That game was boring as hell. The only difference there is the excitement going into the game is Gonzaga, right, versus a St. Peter's or a Princeton, right? Which for me, it's like, yeah, like I'm just as excited to see if Princeton or St. Peter's or FAU or Fairleigh Dickinson or somebody can go in and find a way to win. And do you think the NC2A or any college basketball program in the country cares that you don't find it enjoyable that there aren't blue blood? Get out of here. I mean, half of those guys anyway, trans with the transfer portal, go to blue buds after the fact, right? Oh, they got success on their team. They, they made it to the elite eight week 16 final four. Look at the coaching moves that have already been made by some of these guys. Yeah. Uh, because FDU's, because FDU's coaches. Yeah. So, I, you know, yeah, I that mean, argument doesn't sit with me, man. I, I don't care. an equitable field for any one of these 68 teams to win a national championship. 
That's the point. And at the end of the day, if that's a nine-seeded mid-major, who cares? That makes it all the more fun. I agree. I think I think it makes it way more entertaining to be able to watch, you know, traditional. I I, I, I guess it's not more or less. I, I guess I view the tournament as like the perfect example of how we look at underdogs as a whole. And I just I hate this like elitist thing where it's like, well, once we get it's like, oh, the mid majors can have their fun in the first two rounds. But then once we get there, then it's time for the big boys to show up. It's like, no, fuck that. You know, like there's going to be years with the expanded college football playoff where we're going to get a UCF. Right. Or a random team that finds its way, you know, like a Kent state or some crazy Mac school, right. A two lane almost beating USC. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like we're going to, we're going to get games like that and they're going to win. And then we're going to get a lot of games that are complete blowouts, but there's also going to be blowouts where Alabama is going to be playing, you know, Michigan and Alabama is going to blow the fucking doors off of them. But we look at Michigan as an elite program. How is that any better? At least there's an excitement where you're like, Oh, well maybe, this plucky little underdog is going to find a way to win because that makes sports fun. You know, I don't want it to, I'm always so like concerned about turning into like the boot, like Bundesliga, right. In soccer, right. Where you have, what's the, the, the German Bayern, team? Munich. Bayern Munich, right. Yeah. Like you have Bayern Munich who just dominates everybody else in that league. And that's all it is. And they look at it. It's like, well, they're the best. So they're just always going to win. Cool. That's fucking boring. Like it is now. To the casual fan, having consistent powerhouses at the top of the league is a good thing. You look at the Cavs Warriors, three years in a row in the finals, right? Those were the best ratings that the NBA's had for national or for NBA finals in a very, very long time. And that's because you had three years of seeing the same thing and people kept coming back in a row. But when there's another random year when it's a Milwaukee and Phoenix, right? Or you know, I just there's something about as a, as a sports fan, as a non-casual sports fan, I like the underdogs. I understand yeah. the argument for casual fans, but ultimately they make a billion dollars off of the NCAA tournament. They, they don't care. They don't care if the rating is a, is a 10.5, you know, 10.5 million people versus 15 million. Like we make a bigger deal out of that than the actual people who run, you know, the NCAA do. For sure. For sure. And, and to the point of, of, the dynasty, it only becomes, uh, you know, villainous or, or in, enjoyable when you see them get knocked off. And, and that's sort of like what has helped grow the parody in both men's and women's college basketball, which I'd love to talk about that game a little bit. That yeah. final was electric. Um, but uh, you see UConn hasn't won a title in what, five years in, on the women's side, right? Now we see more parody. South Carolina is getting better. LSU, who just won, is getting better. A team like Iowa, who comes out of the woodwork, all those players who would have 10 years ago have had two choices, Tennessee or UConn on the women's yeah. side. Now it's now it's all over the country, and that's what yeah. makes the game better. Stanford's, and the same thing is happening yeah. on the men's side. Stanford's really good. Arizona was at Arizona State a couple of years ago, had a nice run on the yeah. women's side. Virginia um, Tech is, yeah, has I all mean, of a sudden come out. Shout out Kenny Brooks. Kenny Brooks was the head coach at JMU when, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. when I was there. Uh, he's now the head coach for the women's team at uh, Tech. Tech's still one of only two, uh, two or three Power Five schools to have never won a team championship. Just want to throw that out there. Fuck Tech. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought I don't know. Ultimately, look, the tournament kicks ass. Like it just always does. And I hate when people take something that's objectively cool and goes, "How can we make this 
a debate about something. Some things are just yeah. fun. Some things are just cool. You know what's cool? Watching basketball for three straight weekends. You know what's yeah, cool? Not having seeing, your head as a, in the mud. Yeah, seeing <laughs> and, Furman. And watching not, a game. <laughs> yeah, watching FAU go on this awesome run. Watching Furman, you know, you know, hit the shot at the buzzer to beat UVA. You know, I, I, it's fun. You know what wasn't fun? Some of the bigger matchups that we thought were going to be really good games and ultimately weren't. Like, and, and so that's the thing. It's always just the con. It's the context and the buildup. We're such a sports obsessed society that we build up these games, national champ, especially like the college football playoff. Like, yeah, we get like two months basically or a month and a half basically to get excited about, you know, the, the college football playoff. And then what happens, right? Uh, well, TC, well, this year's a bad example because both semifinal games are actually good, but a lot of times you have a, a you know, Clemson beating the shit out of somebody or Alabama beating the shit out of somebody like Ohio we get. State. so Yeah. Ohio state. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, we get so excited because we want these games to be really good. And it's like almost like, well, if it's not a school that we care about, like the TCU, like people were not pumped about TCU being in the final four for the college football playoff. Like I thought it was fucking awesome. I thought it was yeah. a great thing for college basketball or for, for college football to have TCU beat Michigan in a drunken, weird ass fucking game, you know? But then the elitists are like, well, I think only the two best. It's just so fucking dumb. It's just How fun. Sports you. are fun. Remember, yeah. sports are fun. Let's stop trying to make everything so fucking serious. And like every single matchup has to be the best thing. It has to be the elite of the elite. The most memorable Super Bowl of the last 25 years, hands down, is uh, the, New York, the, the New York Giants beating the Patriots and stopping the undefeated team. Maybe, oh, yeah. maybe the Falcons path Super Bowl. But that's just because that's because of the comeback. But if you ask most people like the helmet catch, that's probably the most iconic sports play at least most iconic football play of the 2000s in the last 23 years yeah i would agree so let's just have fun uh congrats to uconn uh five championships in the last 25 years is that does that get that right uh yeah since five championships is 99 so that's crazy uh even less than 25 24 years that's (laughs) certified blue blood question mark i think so it's hard. It's hard not to five, five titles, by the way, in six final four appearances. How about that? That's impressive. And yeah. three different coaches. Yeah. Two. <laughs> That's right. is, it, is it two for three for Jim Calhoun? And then one, mm-hmm. one, one for Kevin Ollie and Kevin Ollie. one for, uh, for Bobby Hurley. Or is it da- yep. Danny Hurley? Danny the Hurley's shout out to Wagner, the Wagner days when they were coaching there. Um, remember when he was there, they beat Pitt. Pitt was like a top 25 team and Wagner beat them. And like ESPN had to get the, the the video feed from Wagner College because their games weren't being broadcasted anywhere. And like the, the gym at Wagner is so small; it's a high, it's literally like a high school gym. Like they have the retractable bleachers, you know, the big oh, plastic man. ones that you would see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty wild, pretty wild. Shout out to <laughs> to Danny Hurley. It's funny because like I don't I don't like UConn as a Villanova guy, but um, it's hard not to like Danny Hurley. You know, it's it's hard not to root for that. And I thought that run was awesome. Uh, the women's side, yeah, you mentioned it there. We should give a shout out Kim Mulkey, um, probably the scariest person on the on earth, like because of the outfits or just her personality, dude. Like she is, oh yeah, she is a terrifying. Like I don't think I like she reminds me of like um the sports version of the uh, the chick from Harry Potter. 
the the one who took over. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Who wore like the big pink fluffy outfits and was just an absolute fucking bitch at all times. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's in one of the later movies. There's people being like, it's this is the fucking name. Um, but like she's like the sports version of that. Like she's just she's a terrifying woman. Like I'd be so afraid to upset her in any context because um, she's just a badass. But she's a damn good coach. Uh, LSU went out and hired her from Baylor a couple of years ago, and she's within two seasons now. She's won a national championship, which is turn, impressive. Turn the LSU program around. I mean that play that program was dead in the water for a while. Yeah, um, and just an unbelievable job the recruiting that she and her staff have done. And then, I mean, credit to Iowa too. Caitlin Clark and that team mm-hmm. are are absolutely. Uh, some of the uh, I can't wait to follow uh, both her and uh, uh, Angel Reese, uh, Angel Reese's careers in the in the WNBA. Well, so uh, Caitlin it's Clark, gonna be fascinating. She Caitlin Clark has another year of, yeah. well, she, that's before the, she can even go to the WNBA. That's the other part I love about women's college basketball. Right, you have you get all the one and dones here. People transferring in the portal based on their success in the tournament. Most of the time in the women's game, that doesn't happen. They're able to build a program with these four year players that that create the parody that we've seen over the past 10 years in, in women's college basketball. And finally, they're on a platform that we can all watch now. For sure. I mean, <laughs> nine and a half million viewers in the national championship. I mean, that's a monster number uh, for, for the women's game. Highest ever. Um, and yeah. And K- Caitlin Clark is just what a fucking baller she is, man. She is. She is she's an, she's absolute an absolute star. star. Um, she, she's it's a little reminiscent of like Steph Curry at Davidson, you know, like who is this chick, man? Just pulling up from 35 feet and, and bombing threes. Like, like she's awesome. I love the energy. Um, I thought the whole back and forth about like Angel Reese, like taunting her the way that she was not like, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't bring myself to care about it. You know, to me, I'm just like, dude, she's just like, she just won the fucking national championship. Like, yeah, she's going to fucking watch. It's, did, she, did she get a, was it a little same weird? Argument. Was it a little weird that like she chose to do that instead of celebrating with her, for her teammates immediately? Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, if it's a guy's, if this happened in a guy's sport, does it get any more than like maybe a quick conversation on a podcast? No. Like probably not. So like, no, I don't, and apart from from the gender thing it's all coded language gender race whatever you want to do because it it to me it's it was a non-factor at all it's just her way of celebrating okay and if you're not okay with that then maybe you should reevaluate your principles i'm sorry that the people who were screaming the loudest that was probably the only college basketball game women's college basketball game they watched all year long so uh i'm sorry i don't feel sympathy for you if you think that was was an issue um you know, like if you want to talk about the 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 physics of the taunting, then fine. Uh, I'll, I'm here to have that conversation. Just don't use the coded language that everybody else is using around it. Well, and I know and I'm not going to share who, but like there are people I used to work with who were their tweets and reaction to this were blowing up and got involved in some, you know, some pretty big retweets and, and some other stuff and some quote tweets and like. I know for a fact, having worked with them, that they don't watch women's college basketball. Yeah. There's a very good chance the final four was probably the first time that they watched any women's college. All And then they, they make it sound on the air like they do, and they'll be able to know enough to kind of comment on it. 
but I know like from off air conversations, like I know those people don't actually watch. And yet they were the ones on there trying to puff their chest and speak the loudest. And like, yeah, would I have handled it differently than Angel Reese? I like to think so. Have I ever been in a position to win a national championship and motherfuck <laughs> someone as talented as Caitlin Clark? No, I haven't. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that like I could, or that I'd be that way. You know, ultimately at the end of the day, like she won a fucking natty dude. Like, yeah, <laughs> no one, no one would have cared about this. If it was a men's sport, no one would have cared. It's it's, it was a very clear, as you said, it was, it was gender and race specific and people bit and, and, it turned into a whole thing. Um, I think what's more important is like celebrating the fact that Clay- Caitlin Clark had one of the best runs in college basketball history, men's or women's. Um, and that LSU won a national championship and the angel Reese fucking balled out. Like, I think that is just as uh, that's way more important than whatever bullshit celebration argument people want to make. So agreed. Um, two great tournaments as always. Um, it just never, it always delivers. It just always, it always does, man. It's, it's the best. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. We got master's preview talk on the other side, get your uh, notebooks out, get your bet slips ready. We're going to get you some bets here uh, and uh, stay tuned. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. It is master's week. Scott and I both watching the par three competition. They got a little kid running around in the caddy outfit with a green hat might be the oh, it was hilarious. Thing. Did you might... see, did no, you see what? right before the break uh, when we were recording Justin Spieth's lining up to, uh, to take a shot in the tee box and his, his kid and homeless kid are running around the tee box right in front of him. It's the really? best. I love the par three contest. Oh, it's, it's awesome. The legendary clip that always goes around of Jack Nicholas's grandson hitting yeah. the hole in one a couple of yeah. years ago. It was awesome. Jack's looking old, man. I saw him at the, the picture yeah. of the master's dinner. He's looking old, man. Not too much gold left in the golden bear. Uh, but it is, I've said it before. I said at the top of the pod, it is my favorite sports week. It really is. Like, I'm so excited for tomorrow. Um, might be today by the time this is Wednesday we're recording this. I'm so excited to, early. <laughs> to sit down. I have, I'm, I'm off of work this week, too. So I'm going to go downstairs, set up the TV, have you know have multiple screens going and just watch and enjoy because it is just it's the best um very excited for that but we uh we're gonna hit a bunch of stuff here we're gonna talk masters storylines uh and then we have a bunch of betting stuff that you can do uh by the time you're listening hopefully you guys listen to it on wednesday um if not you know I understand, but uh, a lot of the bets you can still get. But that's get. on you. <laughs> the live betting. I mean, we were a little late. It was tough. I was traveling this week. I was out of town last week into this week. So not you, Jack. You, uh, you, the listener, that's on you. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm going to take blame. I don't want to blame the listener, Scott. I don't think that's a good practice to keep. Nah, um, do it in the playoffs. <laughs> please. Uh, but we are going to do a bunch of stuff here. Starting off, uh, what's the number one storyline for you going into this Masters? Uh, can Scotty go back to back? Uh, mm. we haven't had a back to back winner since what when Tiger did it and and uh, uh, 2000, what was it, 2004, 2005 or five, six, yeah, maybe that's yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah, because he then he went five and then 2007. Uh, so yeah, it was yeah. 2000, 2001 was the back to back. So, uh, that to me is the, is the gonna be the the biggest storyline, I think, of of the entire week. He sank a ridiculous uh, 
uh, ace on the ninth on the at the par three on the fly into the cup. Tiger um, so did? He, no, no, no. Scotty Scheffler. Oh, I'm oh sorry. Scotty did. Yeah. So he is locked in. Um, and, and you look at every, every stat strokes gained, every category of strokes gained T to green approach, uh, off the T, uh, total, uh, scoring average. Scotty's at the top of all of these scoring statistics or, uh, uh, yeah, statistics. So, uh, he's got a target on his back cause he's, he's won the masters last year. Um, and he's got a target on his back because he's playing so well this year. I mean, he's playing better than he did last year when he won the masters. So, uh, that to me is going to be the, the storyline is can, can Scotty repeat for the first time in, in 22 years? Yeah. Um, sorry. I'm, I'm just pulled up the video of him sinking the, uh, <laughs> sinking it was controversial, but there was an ace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm with, I, that's definitely one of the big ones. I mean, he's, he, like you said, man, he's his best right now. If you put Rory, cause the way I look at it, like we have a big three now, right. In, in golf, which is really fun. Like it kind of mirrors the big three in the NBA right now for the MVP, right. With Giannis and bead and Jokic. And it, it feels like it's, it's Rory, it's Scotty and it's Rom. And the three of them are all studs. Like they just, any day they can come out and shoot 64, right? Uh, Rory's final round last year when he holed out of the bunker on 18, ends up finishing yeah. third, shot 64. Um, he talked about it was the first time he left Augusta with, like, positive thoughts, um, which I think makes – I, I think right now, obviously, Tiger's the draw. Tiger's the one that will always move the needle. He is – as the four-play guys at Barstool have said, he is the needle. It is It is – Tiger and Tiger at Augusta is the needle, right? But realistically, I think we all are in agreement. Tiger's probably not going to win, right? If he does, that's the best thing in sports, right? If Tiger wins the Masters again, it's the best thing in sports. Four years after he won it in 19, which seemed even more improbable then, right? But that's just what Tiger does. But keeping that long shot hope that most golf fans have to the side, I think the needle now most gets moved with Rory, right? Like I, and Rory is close to achieving the thing that only a handful of golfers have ever done, which is the career grand slam. And he's, he's never really been in the mix on Sunday at Augusta. And it seems like every tournament you watch Rory's in the mix on Sunday somewhere, you know, he had a bad showing at the players, but other than that, you know, Rory's just always dancing around. And with everything he's done, keeping up the PGA Tour, being the, the face of the PGA Tour, being so diplomatic, knowing that this is the first event where we're having the live crossover, really, um, you know, since the British Open last year. But also it's like Liv has not failed, but Liv is flopping, right? Like the... It was so heated last summer. Every time you talked about live golf, it was on every sports talk show, every sports radio show. People are talking yeah. about it. Now we're like used to it. Like we've all kind of adapted to like live as a thing. It's not a very popular thing. It's kind of a shit product, but it's a thing now. And now that that's we've kind learned of settled, like, yeah. And also with how close Rory was last year to winning the open only to have Cam Smith go on catch on fire at the turn and put him in what was it like seven straight birdies or yeah. something? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we need to see Rory win the Masters. Like I, to me, like as a golf fan, that moves the needle for me as much as 
Tiger does, you know, but just because Tiger's been there and done that. It's like, I, I feel like as a Rory fan and someone who supported him, like that's to me, like, that's what I need to see. I need to see Rory McIlroy in a green jacket on Sunday night. Like that to me would be the perfect way to end this other than Tiger winning. Cause winning. Ti- yeah, Tiger, Tiger winning still is better, but it's just, that's the, to me, that's what I want to see. And it's hard because with these big three, Rom, you know, Rom was playing really good golf before he had to withdraw from the, the players championship. Yeah, so Rory's finished in, in seven of the net last nine masters. He's had a top 10 finish. So there is pressure there for him to break through, but he's only 33. So I, I, I don't see it as this immense pressure that everyone's making it out to be. I mean, yeah, he is 33. I think it's worth noting. Yes. He's finished in the top 10, but it's like a, like it was last year, which is he gets hot on Sunday. Like he pulls him. He's never in contention. He'll finish top 10, but he's not quite like an actual contention to win. You know, like I, he needs to be in that, like three within three to four strokes going in sun, going into yeah. Sunday. He's got to get hot like, starting tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And, and it needs to look because the, the thing with Rory is it's always been like a, with a lot of majors, especially since he last won his last one, which is 2014. A lot of Rory's Rory's majors have been like his performances, at least are like he gets off to a really, really good start Monday through or Thursday through Saturday. And then Sunday, he just doesn't do enough to win it. Right. That's what we saw at the, at the open last year. Or we'll see, you know, him kind of muddle around, be fine, blow around early and then catch fire on Sunday and shoot a 64 or 63 or something. Right. And then all of a sudden he cracks into that top 10 and and wins a bunch of money, but he's not actually in contention. I want to see Rory put together four straight days. Now you're right. 33. Is that old? No, no, but (laughs) says Scotty, uh, 33 obviously isn't old, old. And I actually think, this is kind of a perfect time for him to win the Masters because we talk about this all the time. So much of winning at Augusta is experience, right? Knowing how to hit different shots, right? Because it, it, you, you don't get to go play there all the time. You can't just go. And, and whatever it looks like during tournament week is going to be completely different than when you play at any other time of the year. It's closed for half the year, so there's only so much you can actually play on it. Like experience is your best friend, which what makes like what Jordan Spieth did in 2015 and what Scotty Scheffler did last year. So impressive, but like DJ was 33, 34 when he won it a couple of years ago in 2020. Um, so I think more and more, like we're going to see like that experience getting to play at Augusta a lot is going to help you ultimately like compete and, and give yourself a best chance to win. I think Roy's in a good spot for that. I just think from a large, like a, a, a more macro view of the PGA tour of the golf world, Rory winning the masters is the best possible like outcome storyline wise. Um, but to do that, you got to beat Scotty and you got to beat John Rom. You got to beat these guys who are just absolute studs. Um, I would also throw out there too. I mean, again, like, to the casual fan, the biggest storyline is always going to be Tiger uh, until he stops playing. Um, but I'm also curious, I, and I think this is big too, is everyone wants to see what the live stuff looks like. Um, and, and credit to the Masters, who I didn't think would have this in them, but um, the Masters allowed, just like all the other majors, have allowed all of the live guys to play if they're qualified by their world golf rankings, but they've paired them up with the worst possible people. 
it's, it's incredible. It's so funny. Like James Hahn is opening up the Masters playing with Mike Weir. It's the first tee time on Thursday, and he's playing with a Mike Weir. Like, there's not a single live golfer who is paired up with a top 20 golfer in the world. Oh, that's great. I Name I, the two guys that Sergio is playing with. I dare you. <laughs> I have no idea. Is it like Kokrak or something? <laughs> it's Keith Mitchell and Kazuki Higa. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and that's a former champion, too. So credit to the Masters for kind of being like, oh, we'll let you play, but uh, you got to earn your spot there. Uh, you're not going to – and none of them are in any featured groups either, which well, I think then, is now there's a shock. Yeah. But what, what I'm curious too is like I think everything will be cordial. Like I don't think we're going to get any drama from that perspective. But I do think we're going to see more people uh, – from, from a golf perspective, more of the, the live golfers are going to struggle. Right. They're just they're not playing golf to the same extent like Cam Smith in the last calendar year. Uh, oh, I guess I, it's since I should rephrase since Cam Smith won the British Open, uh, the, the Open Championship, he's played in. Can you guess how many events that have a cut? Uh, zero <clears throat> two. He's played oh, wow. in two. Uh, he won one of them, which was a very small tournament in Australia that he went home for. Uh, and the other one was like a random, a random tournament. Um, but again, like this, the cut line, the pressure, the big stage, you're just not going to see any of that this year. Yeah, well, for those guys in particular, for those guys, yeah, um, I should say, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Because they're not used to, to that. The, that's part of one of the allures of, of going to the live tournament was that they didn't have to deal with that. Uh, which my counter argument always is, then be better. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. But, <clears throat> you know, they made their their bed and, and they're laying in it. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see when when the pressure gets dialed up, especially if they're if they're on that line uh, come come Friday afternoon. And I think some of them, uh, a good majority of them will be um, that are playing in the Masters. Uh, what does that look like? Especially if you're playing against guys who are, you know, for when you look at these pairings, they'll probably not be anywhere near that cut line. Yeah. Right. So there's nobody pushing you uh, when, when you need to be pushed. Well, and just look at, I mean, like a week ago or two weeks ago, Rory was going up against Scotty Scheffler in the consolatory match uh, or the not consolatory match, the, um, the consolation match uh, in, in the match play event in Austin, like one-on-one going up against the number one player in the world. Right. And Scotty is going up against Rory McElroy. And it's it's the better who's gonna win back at, head to head. Like you're not getting anything close to that with Liv. You're yeah. not playing nearly as much golf. You're not playing in these elevated events at the that the PGA tour is doing. I think more and more, I think it's just I, I can't see a world where the Liv players are going to be up for the level of competition that they're gonna be required to have, let alone like you know, golf is all about pressure. Like it's all yeah. about like ultimately like the mental game is so huge and these guys might be out hitting a million balls. They might be on the range. They might be putting. They might've done a bunch of stuff that's going to work for them, but are they going to do anything that's actually going to like mentally get them ready for this? Cause the only thing I think that does that is going out and competing week in and week yeah. out. And I think, you know, a guy like Scotty Scheffler who just won the players two weeks ago or three weeks ago, like he's in a 10 times better spot. 
than any of these live guys who come in going up against, you know, like Pat Perez or some shit, you know, like it's just not, it's not the same level of mental pressure. Um, in addition to like Augusta is an extremely difficult golf course, you know, and the courses that they play on the lift tour are nowhere near as difficult as, as what Augusta is going to be. Now no, they have you talked like- about experience. And so who do you think among this group of guys who, who, and there are some, there's great experience at Augusta with some of these guys. Sergio is one, um, um, who has Brooks Kepka has been in the top 10 for, for a number of years. DJ's have, won the I think thing. They have four. I think they have four win- or if you include Phil, I think it's five. And Phil, they have, yeah. they, have so, Sir, they have Sergio, Patrick Reed, DJ, Phil, and well, maybe it's just four. Yeah. Um, uh, but either, who, either who way, among those yeah. Bubba Watson, that's who. Oh, Bubba, yeah. Who who do you think, um, because of this experience, has among the group of live guys has the best shot at uh, at winning the thing? Well, I think the only person that I think has a real shot is Cam Smith. Because Cam Smith seems like he just nothing bothers him pressure wise. You know, I don't think he's got a whole lot going on between the ears. Um, he's a simple guy. He likes to fish. He likes to play golf, likes to drink beer with his buddies. Like that's basically Cam Smith's life. And like, that's an awesome life. Keep, keep doing your thing champ. Like fucking love that. Um, so I think he's also probably one of the top 10 best golfers in the world, if not top five, like he is that good. Um, yeah. So I, Cam Smith is the one I think realistically is the only one that has an actual chance. And he's played Augusta, I think, four or five times. So he's been around it. He obviously was finished second last year um, chasing Scotty down, but Scotty was just so good. So he's performed well at Augusta when he's been there. Um, I, I guess if you're picking outside of that, it's probably DJ because hmm. he can still smash the ball. He won just a couple of years ago. He knows the course. He's been playing it, you know, I think this is like his 14th or 15th Masters. Um, like he, he's been around, like he's, he knows what to do on this course. Bubba just can't hang with those guys anymore. Um, Bryson sure as hell is not going to fucking win anything. Um, God, it's so nice to just never have to worry about Bryson DeChambeau. Like I had that thought, like I turned around at one point and he was, he just finished up the par three contest. And I was just like, man, so nice to just not even like the thought, the name Bryson DeChambeau is just not something that even occurs to me anymore. And it's so just nice. Deleted that from the, from the memory. It's so your, nice. In your brain. I fucking hate that guy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, w- I would say DJ has got the best chance uh, yeah. if you're just going off the experience factor, but the only one that I think has a really good chance to actually win is Cam Smith. But at the same time, has is cam smith so laissez-faire and laid back that it doesn't matter. He can just roll up and win the masters. I mean, that's fucking hard, dude. That's fucking hard. Um, let alone, I mean, I'm curious, like what the lit, what the the chirping is going to be from patrons and stuff at the event. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot, but there might be. You know, Augusta is not really known for allowing that kind of shit. So yeah, um, wish there were though. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that also kind of again it takes away from everything that makes Augusta so fucking awesome. That's true. Yeah, I just I, I think realistically the only one from a quality like. Brooks just won on the live tour last week, right? See, that's so, my pick. I, I think Brooks, uh, you know, you talk about it's hard to win back-to-back weeks, especially going into Augusta, but right now his ball striking looks so good. He looks so much healthier. Um, uh, not that I watched the the live tour, uh, not at least for the least of which is that it's on the CW and I don't even know what channel that's on anymore. Uh, <laughs> 
but uh you know we i object to it so i didn't i didn't watch that tour but i i've seen highlights of him in recent tournaments striking the ball he looks excellent his putting's great his health is better um i think he's he among all those guys has the best chance to win yeah i mean brooks is i don't know he's he's been there in the mix at augusta obviously four-time major champ, right? He was always, he was kind of like how Cam Smith was like, ah, nothing really bothered him. He was always kind of too, too cool for school kind of mentality. I, I don't think that version of Brooks exists anymore. Honestly, I, I think, I think he's very, very cognizant of the decision he made. And that was one of the interesting things in full swing, like in the Netflix documentary, like it was very clear I don't think Brooks has been that happy since making the jump to live. Yeah. I think he was yeah. burnt out. I think the the pressure and the competition burnt him out physically and emotionally and mentally. And I think that was an easy way for him to go. And I think he took the easy way out. And I think he went and, and, and look like the bag, I get it. Winning on live on the live tour means absolutely fucking nothing to me. When you look at the people before Brooks who won this year, it was a, a whole bunch of just fucking nobodies, you know, and it's all guys who, you know, who, who weren't even famous or, or good at golf, good enough at golf to really be competitive on the tour to begin with, but were good enough to go win a three day tournament on, on live. Um, you know, cause that's the other thing too. It's like live tournaments are only three days and there's no cut. Like we're adding a whole nother round. We're not, you know, we're, this is 72 rounds versus, you know, 72 holes versus, you know, what 64 i mean that's a big difference not 64 54 that's a that's a big difference you know that's a big difference and i i think brooks physically has not i mean he you're right he seems healthier now than he has in the last few years i don't think mentally he's going to be even closer i don't think any of the live guys are again i think if anyone has a shot it's going to be cam smith but i don't know about that uh, all right, let's get to our uh, bets here and our, and our picks. Um, well, we'll start, Scotty, we'll start with you because we always do, whenever we do our picks, we start with our top 20s and then our top 10s and, and we kind of make our way back in. So uh, to finish top 20, do you have any anybody who's jumping out to you? Uh, yeah, there are a couple that I think <clears throat> are sleepers really to actually to win the thing, if not get into the top five. I think of guys like Jason Day, who's who's cracking the top five in strokes gained across the board. Uh, Siwoo Kim, who is one of the top 15, I believe, in approach. Uh, he's been playing pretty lights out, too. Uh, love his game uh, just up and down. Um, um, but then, you know... Uh, you know, a top 20 locks. I think you, you talked about the big three. I like Morikawa. Sandra Shoffley's a, a trendy pick for that uh, to make, to crack the top 20. And I, and, and I think some of those guys will uh, eventually because they have the experience at the masters. But, uh, but I, I look at, I look at some of these guys, like uh, I would even look at a guy like uh, uh, Tom Kim, who, who has uh, he's playing in his first masters. He's 20 years old. Um, but his practice round was with Tiger and Rory. Uh, and then he went out and played the par three today with Scotty Scheffler. So like, I mean, talk about a good, a good ramp up to, to your first round at the masters. Uh, Tom Kim's, I love his game 20 years old, like I said, but uh, he's a really good iron player, a really good putter. So uh, plus, that would be of all the long shots to me to crack uh, the top 10 or, or 15. I think he would be a, a good top 20 pick for me. Yeah. Um, he finished out last season really hot. Uh, won a couple of the fall tournaments, 
Um, and then he's kind of been a little slow starting here. I think he got a lot of hype. He signed, I think, with Callaway. I don't remember. He signed with one of the major brands. Might have been Titleist. Um, but he is uh, he's plus 310 right now to, to finish top 20. I think that's a good bet. Uh, I'd also drop Sahith Thagala. Uh, young guys, again, typically struggle at the Masters, but some are able to at least hang around, compete. Top 20, plus 270 for him for uh, Sahith. Um, I'll also look, the other one that popped off to me was Justin Rose. Justin Rose right now, mm. plus 140 to finish in the top 20. Obviously, you're not getting crazy long odds, but you're getting plus odds on a guy like Justin Rose, who, even though he's 40, has hung around and been in, in, in on the final page a few times. I also like him for top 10. He's also been playing sneaky, really, really good golf. Uh, I loved your pick with Jason Day. Um, strokes gained cumulative, meaning in every aspect combined, draw off the tee, uh, fairway on the greens, around the greens. Uh, Jason Day is second right now. Yeah, he's playing on really, the PGA really well. Tour. Second yeah. in strokes gained cumulative, which is like – the barometer stat, you know, it's like war, you know, in, in baseball, like wins above replacement. Like, it's like, if you're, if you're doing that well, strokes gained around, he's had, I think five top 10 finishes already this year. Like Jason day is playing really, really good golf. Um, his odds to finish top 20 are minus minus one twenty five, So I don't love the odds there. Um, but if you look at him, you know, for, for like top, uh, top 10, it's plus plus one ninety. Uh, he's going to be a very and has been a very trendy pick. Um, a lot of people are riding on uh, Jason Day plus four eighty to finish in the top five. Uh, so I like I like sprinkling a little bit on Jason Day. You're just not getting the odds that people would think you'd be getting um, because he has you know a he's a very trendy pick, but also because a lot of people are uh, um, are, are betting on him. Uh, this is a, a question I'm got to ask on the air here because I'm not. Remembering is uh is Ricky Fowler? Did he not qualify? I know he was right on the line. Yeah, I guess he didn't qualify. That's a shame. Um, that's crazy. I, Can't, I don't think so. No, <clears throat> that's a shame because he's again another guy playing. I think he had to finish like top four or like top eight or something in the match play for him to qualify. Um, uh, he, he was, was close. He made a run. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, he was right on the line. Um, Tyrrell Hatton's another one. I mean, what he did the players. He's such a hothead, but. Man, when he gets hot with the putter, um, and you know, Augusta is a funny course, man, because some people will tell you it's ball striking, some people will tell you it's uh, navigating the green, some people it's you know the around the green, the pitch shots. Um, a lot of people tell you it's the putting. Like Augusta is one of those where it's just kind of like you kind of just have to be all around. Like hitting the ball super yeah. far helps you and- at Augusta, but you also like it's it's not necessary to win either. Yeah, and it, it'll be a little different this year too, even because they've lengthened some of the some of the holes. Um, so it's going to be a bit more challenging for for guys who aren't long hitters to get around some of these these tight tree lines that come out of the out of the tee boxes, right? So yeah, um, <clears throat> unless you you are really good at controlling the ball, manipulating it, and then and then getting good on the approach, um, which I think is going to be my uh, one of my big keys uh, for for my my picks this year to, uh, to win the thing, but, uh, on the approach shots are, are going to be critical. This, this, uh, this master's tournament. Yeah. Uh, I like Victor Hovland too. Um, you can get him at pretty decent man, odds. So his, bad around the green, man. Still, he is like, that's he, been his, yeah. his Achilles heel, but he's still, 
but he's also like a really, really good ball striker, like arguably one of, if not the best on the tour. Um, and he can also bomb it off the tee for him. It's going to be, it's like him and Zalatoris are both very similar. It's like, how, how are they putting, you know, like Zalatoris's putting stroke is horrendous, but if you look at his strokes gained on the putting, uh, on the greens last year, he was like dead middle of the pack. So even though it looks really bad, it's still effective. You know, he's not like one of the best putters in the world, but he's, I mean, he is when you consider everyone else, but when you're talking about the PGA tour, he's right around there. And, and Hoffman's a really good putter, right? Like for his issue, as, as you pointed out, it's much more the, the short game around yeah, short the green. Game. Like yeah. what does he do when he gets in trouble? How can he scramble? Right. You know, cause ultimately every single person, unless you are like Scotty or Jordan Spieth or some of these guys who talking about me, you know, right. <laughs> who were young and just blew everybody out by five or 10 strokes. Um, you're going to have moments where you have to hit big shots. Like you have to hit recovery shots and you have to hit. Like I always think of Bubba Watson from the, the pine straw with the three wood, right? It's like oh one of the, God. one of the sickest shots I've ever seen in my life. You know, so you, have, you have to be able to hit those shots. Um, and I think Victor Hovland has been in contention at a lot of majors remember he was in the final group with rory at the open championship last year um so i think victor hovland someone that you at least sprinkle a little bit i'm i'm with you the chipping is a problem it's not great um but i love it also i want to add this too i know his odds are going to be terrible but i've been riding max homa for three years now trendy pick it is and everyone is picking max but at the same time and this is what's interesting the biggest flaw in max's career so far especially as he's been a top five golfer the last year and a half has been the majors he's never really performed great he's never been in a final group and because of that his odds are reflective if you look at you know max home would have finished top 10 on, at your average you know at harvard town next week right um or you know at the players championship he was in the top six in odds if you look at you know we're talking about like top 10 finish he's like plus 150 Right now, he's plus 240 to finish top 10 at the Masters. Like, I'm absolutely sprinkling Max Homer to win that, I, I, to, you know, to finish top 10. Because his game has gotten so good. And the weakest part of his game for the longest time was his chipping and, and pitching around the green, which has now become a strength of his. So he's right in that spot. I, I'm riding with Max pretty hard this week, mainly because I've – Long before he was the darling of social, you know, of, of golf Twitter and was on every podcast and everything like I the first bet, big bet that I ever won. Was Max Homa to win at Riviera in 2021, and uh, I continue to ride with Max Homa for that. So uh, I think Max Homa is going to be good. Stayaways, uh, Patrick Cantley, the odds just are too short. And in any of his finishing positions, he's never really performed well at a major. He's never won a major. He doesn't win a lot on tour, but he's a guy that just always hangs around. Um, he's really high in the um, the FedEx Cup points. So, again, people love betting on Patrick Cantley. I would stay away. Um, you know, could he come out and, and put around a bunch of good scores here? Sure. Could he finish top 10? Fine. But at plus 155 to finish top 10, I don't know if I'm touching Patrick Cantley on that. Yeah, me either. I'm with you. <clears throat> For me, the stay away um, among the uh, the big guys too. One of them is uh, is Justin Thomas. Um, mm. I just 
he, he seems like a, a, a different golfer lately this season uh, for, for the last few months. And, and I don't know what's going on, but uh, Augusta's not the place to figure it out. Uh, when the pressure's off, he's great. I mean, he won the, the, the world hero. Uh, he did well at the, at the Phoenix. Um, but he's even been... when he won, even when he won the PGA last year, yeah. he had, he had no ch- chance going into the day. He didn't think he was going to be no. in contention. And, so he played he a, put... a pressure-free round of golf and, and yeah. dominated. And he put together some great shots, especially in the, in the, uh, uh, in the extra holes. Um, well, and to, to that overtime, point too, but, he did play three really good playoff holes and beat yeah. Willie Z. But, but you know, but for the most part, it was Mito Pereira choking <laughs> that yeah. uh, that allowed Justin to get back in there. But yeah, so when the pressure's off, he's he's unbelievable. Uh, I just don't. I think it's going to be so high and so ramped up at this Masters tournament. I, I mean, I'm talking like the top five are going to be within two strokes of each other going into Sunday, right? I, I, I hope so. I hope so, man. Cause I, yeah, there's that part of me too. It's like, well, what if Scotty just dominates like last year? You know? I mean, the, the way he's playing, I, I wouldn't be shocked. No, it wouldn't uh, be but shocked. I think either. it is going to be closer than that. Uh, just, just the way that the, the talent looks and the metrics are, are, are saying the same. I mean, you look at a guy like Jason Day's in the top, uh, to, you said top uh, two or two or three in strokes gain total. Yeah. Every other like individual strokes, strokes gain statistic. He's in the top three or, or at least the top five. So yeah, uh, that's, that's a guy I'm like, and he's due for, for a major. Right? Yeah. That's it a does. guy I love. So uh, I, that, that's the kind of pressure I'm talking about where you see guys like that, who are at uh, what, I don't know what uh, Jason days are odds are. I'm guessing they're somewhere in the 20 to one range. Uh, but uh but that that's a guy who who can make some noise and be in that yeah he's plus twenty five hundred uh, who can make some noise and be in that group that's like one two three strokes back from the leader on a on going into Sunday yeah um, some other names we talked about the live tour guys we didn't talk about this next guy um, always seems to find ways last year he got paired with Tiger uh, and I think the ever the excitement about oh my god Tiger's actually playing the Masters because remember this time. You know, maybe a, last week, a year ago, you know, the, in the week before going into the Masters week, there was a lot of speculation as to whether Tiger was going to play at all. And then he showed up and everyone just cared. Like, no one cared about anything else other than Tiger. And then Scotty ran away with it. Um, but Louis Oosthuizen has been right around the Masters top 10. It feels like every year. Right. He's been, he had that stretch two years ago where he was in the top 10 against a Yeah. He was in the final pairing on Sunday. He was, he, he was in the final pairing of three out of the four majors that year in 2021. <laughs> right. Um, he's older. He's played Augusta a ton. Uh, and he's right. I mean, again, just talk about long odds. Like if somebody was going to come in and play well from live, it's got to be someone who has a lot of that experience. Um, who's still playing high quality golf. Louis Oosthuizen, like, again, we just, we don't know the level of golf he's playing because we just don't get to see him as much. Um, but plus 750, I mean, that's really, really good odds, man. Um, and, and I think Louis Oosthuizen, if you're going to take a gamble on somebody, Adam Scott, kind of the same deal, former champ, uh, still plays really, really high quality golf, can put lights out. Um, Kurt Kitayama is another one that people like. He won on tour earlier this year. Tom Hoagie was one I was looking mm-hmm. at because I think he's a top five ball striker on planet Earth. Um, and when he gets hot with the irons, it's just he puts everything within birdie distance. So if Hoagie can, you know, again, kind of come out, 
hit his hit his irons, stay hot with his irons like he was at the players. He had that crazy run, but he he tied the course record at um at the players championship of, about a month ago. Um, so yeah, I like I, I like Tom Hoagie. I guess if we're looking at long shots, um, it's a very interesting field. Uh, there, there's it's so funny because there's definitely more um, live guys in here than I thought would have qualified for, but there's plenty. Um, and then you have that core, you have that kind of group, the Tony Finau, Colin Morkawa, and Xander Shoffley. You know, those are going to be a lot of common bets here too. Of those three, do you think any of them stand out? I mean, obviously Colin has two majors under his belt already. Um, Shoffley's still looking for that first major. He's been in contention at Augusta a bunch. Um, I'll, I, I'll definitely sprinkle a little bit on Xander just because it feels like he's been there so much. And there's just so always close. like one or two mistakes. He's a top five, top 10 finish guy for me, for sure. For sure. He's also been playing some pretty decent golf. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, I'll start with Morikawa. He's number one in approach, four in ball striking, four in tee to green, eight in strokes gain. That's going to be excellent uh, for you in uh, in Augusta. He's plus 2,500. I, I love that pick. And if it weren't for the, for the guy I'm going to talk about now, uh, Morikawa would be my pick to win the whole thing. Tony Finau is due, though. Plus 2,400, yeah. fourth, fourth in total strokes gained, fifth in strokes gained tee to green, third in, in, in approach, third in total birdies, uh, and and I believe he's also top five in uh, in uh, around the green, uh, and he's number five in scoring average. Oh, sorry, he's top five in birdies, sorry. Um, so if, if, you're, if you're top five in approach, um, three in birdie average, uh, and top five in tee to green, uh, you're you're going to have a good time at, uh, at Augusta. Um, and uh, I, I think Fino's due, man. I, he really, really is. Um, everybody, he's, he's always a big buzz pick for, for majors because he hasn't won, uh, uh, especially at Augusta. I, I, I just love the way that he's playing right now. Uh, since the season started, he's just been lights out uh, playing really, really good golf. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take Fino and win the whole thing. I, I'm going to do it. I love. I mean, I love that. I would love to see Tony get a chance to, to knock a major off, especially Augusta. It just feels like he's he's earned that, and he he's been doing it in classic Tony Finau fashion, which is just flying under the radar. You know, just consistently playing really good golf. Doesn't the thing with Tony is like when he wins on tour, it's like last year when he went when he went back to back with a three M, and I forget the one after that was, but he goes back to back wins, right? Like. When when Tony wins, it feels like it's like he gets hot for a, a couple of weeks and he's just he'll just dominate everybody. Can he do that in a major setting? Right. Can he can the, the stars align? I love Tony Fino top five and top ten. Um, you're not getting crazy good odds, but, you know, you're getting plus odds on both. So <laughs> I, I, I love that. I, he's impossible not to root for. I, I love Tony and, and I look forward to that. Um, let's go to some, some special bets here. If you're, if you're on FanDuel, which is primarily what I use and what we use um, when we, when we do our odds here on the pod, uh, the ringer has their own specials for this event. There's a lot of really fun stuff. Um, I'm going to start with the longest odds of the ringer specials, John Rom, Justin Thomas, and Max Homa all to finish top five. And that's including ties and stuff. Plus 9,500. If you believe in Max Homa that much, and it sounds like you do, that's that's great. I mean, I think Rom is a, a lock for the top five at nine to one. Uh, he's he's at the top of everything that isn't dominated by Scotty. He's first in scoring, first in strokes gained, first in birdies, 
um, third in strokes gained tee to green, fifth in ball striking. And this guy's the number three player in the world, and you're getting nine to one odds on him. Yeah, top five yeah. for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean it's 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 hard, right? Because I could also see like Rom making the cut and then going like seventy and seventy one, right? And just kind of hanging around like that <laughs> right. twenty, that top twenty hey, range. Putter's hot, man. Then, but that's, also that's when he dominates. And for that, I mean, you're you're talking about you know plus almost plus ten thousand odds, like that. That's some serious. Yeah. Serious odds, right? Like I'm for sure sprinkle, sprinkle a couple bucks on that. And, you know, then you can take you and your lady out on a nice little date, you know, like that's, that's the way I look at it. Um, Which I, I like, owe, by the way, I owe one because I lost our bracket challenge. Uh, we do one again? every year. Sunks. Yeah. I mean, she's absolutely dominating. What a stretch for her, by the way, to jump back to basketball four in a row and five of the last six. I mean, just, uh, just an unreal stretch from, uh, from, uh, from my your, wife. So getting your ass kicked. It shows you what I know. I mean, look, I mean, my picks I made in both our second chance bracket and the original one were terrible. I should have rode with UConn, like I, I said in the original one. Anyway, uh, congrats to my wife. She's going to have a lovely dinner. Uh, yeah. Back to you. Uh, back, back to our regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> um, uh, th- there's some other fun ones here, too, like Tony Finau, Justin Thomas, Sung J.M., all to finish top 10 is plus 2,900. Mm. Uh, you have Jason Day, Jordan Spieth, Morikawa, and Tiger all to finish in the top 20. That's plus 2,500. Oh, wow. I mean, that's a lot of belief in Tiger, man. I, I love it, but no. Uh, well, the one thing we haven't 20. talked about too, <laughs> which we I don't want to talk about it because I'm trying to will positive energy into the world. Uh, there's some not great weather uh, coming towards Augusta this weekend. Oh, what a uh, shocker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, which is typically something that doesn't happen at Augusta. You don't see rainy Augusta mm-hmm. very often, but it looks like Friday and definitely on Saturday, we're going to be getting a lot of rain, uh, which could line up for maybe like a Monday finish with the, for the masters, which would be electric. Um, we could watch the end of it and then hop on and record the pod immediately after that'd be a blast. Um, but Definitely a, would be a, a, a bummer because we don't like to think about bad weather when we think about Augusta. Um, that being said, I think Tiger competitively and the way his game is right now, and he's said this too, like I think Tiger has enough to finish top 20 in terms of his ability to play. Well, yeah. how, does, and he, but how does his body hold up over four days, maybe a fifth day, in bad weather bad yeah exactly. you know that's i mean with the amount of metal and shit that's in his body that kind of weather is tough right um there's another tiger more metal than him in him than his rescue hybrids huh how about that (laughs) jesus um there's another tiger one that's tiger to finish top 20 and a hole in one on the 16th that's plus 550 just any hole in one or a hole in one on, from Tiger? No, on, on the 16th. Yeah, not from Tiger. Just any hole in one. Just any on, hole in one on, on the 16th. Oh, which is Vern Lundquist calling it. Oh, baby. I don't know. <laughs> Vern, is Vern, I think Vern doesn't. Oh, he's there. It, is he? Oh, he's there. Yeah. He's got 16 every year. Don't I think you worry. That's, I think that's the only thing he doesn't know. I, I think he just <laughs> co- he comes out. Calls, yeah, that's what Jim Nance is going to end up doing. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, he'll, he'll do football for a while. Um. You can get the same thing, more cow to finish top 20 and a hole in one at 16th. That's plus 260. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of fun. You can do any two. If you don't want to do all John Rom Thomas and Homa, that one that was like plus 9,500 to finish top five, you can do any two of those three um, to win. I forget that's uh, plus 700. So if you think John Rom, Justin Thomas, Max Homa, two of those three. 
could could finish top five. You're getting plus seven hundred odds. That's really good on uh, on Fanduel. So there's what I also love. Fanduel has has an entire category of just Tiger. It's literally just called Tiger Specials. Um, again, Tiger is the uh, the needle. More more on that. Um, the, and then there's some like more simple ones, right? That you think like it's just gonna happen that you can get plus odds on. Rory, Scotty, and Rom all to finish top twenty. That's plus one hundred. Like again, you're not getting super that's long odds, money in but, the bank, but, but it feels yeah. like that's just like an easy one to be able to hang. Um, Rory, Spieth, Rom to finish top twenty. That's plus one seventy five. Um, I like this one, Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler to have an eagle in round number one. That is plus three ten. Um, again, it's tough with these for the first round with a lot of these. Cause again, like you were saying, like they've adjusted the, the course. So it's like the, some of the par fives that feel like they've been gettable. They may not be as gettable as they've been in years past, but we're also talking about the best player in the world. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of really fun stuff. Uh, Cam young is another guy to have an Eagle in round one plus three eighty. He hits it so fucking far and he's so good with his fairway woods you know, and those long irons. And like, that's the, that's what you need to hit to, to, to get those Eagles. Scotty's like a lot of people are going to bet that because of the price, but like, I'd be way more inclined to bet like Rory to have an Eagle in the first round is plus three ten, Same as Scotty. Like I would bet Rory on that over Scotty because like Scotty can bomb it, but Scotty also plays a much more like tech, not, not technical. He's, he's a little less aggressive than Rory is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, a, I mean, an interesting point, too, because, well, I mean, even last year in the final round, we saw Scotty, he, he was going after it hole one, but he ended up right near the scoreboard way in the left side and then ended up with that uh, that ridiculous chip in um, from the side of the green after a second bad shot on the on the first. So, yeah, on the third uh, hole. I mean, if he can minimize those mistakes and, and be less aggressive, I mean, that might benefit you in some cases. Uh, on some of these holes that have changed it up and become longer and, and more technical to play. I love this one. Rory McIlroy or Scotty Scheffler to shoot four rounds of 69 or less plus 2000. No, I'm betting two, that's just on principle, two separate bets. <laughs> so you can do Scotty Scheffler to shoot four rounds of 69 or better, or Rory to shoot four rounds of 69 or better plus 2000. Uh, yeah. I mean, those odds alone are just monstrous. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, there's just some really fun specials. Like, go on to FanDuel, whatever app you use, and go check out the specials because some of that stuff's fun. You also have to get most of these bets in before the tournament starts. So, like uh, today. Yeah, basically. Uh, or all right. yesterday, for those of you listening on Thursday. Any, um, any other bets, anything else you want to bring in about the Masters before we get going here? No, no, I love, uh, I love Tony Finau. He's my guy this year. I'm going to ride with him. Um, would love the Rory story, uh, especially because, uh, we're big fans of him on this podcast. Um, but yeah, man, this is, this is one of my favorite times of the year. Go enjoy it. Uh, have an, have an egg salad at home, have a pimento cheese sandwich, uh, at home, uh, for, and, uh, it, it just enjoy the masters. It's, it's one of my, I mean, I get two weeks or two weeks within a month of this, where I get to sit in front of the TV on a Thursday and a Friday and just watch wall to wall sports. It's the best, dude. It's the it's absolute the best. best. I, I can't. I can't think of anything better. Yeah, I can't wait. This is my favorite. Like I said, my favorite four day stretch in sports of the year. The four days of the Masters. 
it's gonna be awesome get it all over yourself have some beers like you said go pick up some pimento cheese i might actually do that after we finish recording here because that sounds delicious uh but that's all we have on the pod today before we go scotty winner of the 2023 masters i said it earlier tony finau that's my guy tony finau i'm going with my heart is saying go with rory mcelroy And I'm going to stick with that. We're going to say Rory putting on the green jacket on Sunday, maybe Monday. Uh, it's probably not going to happen, but I want it to happen so bad. I want it to happen we all so do. bad. I think, yeah, yeah, everybody does. Uh, if not, Rory, why do you say Colin Morikawa comes out of nowhere? I like that picture. Colin Morikawa. Yeah. I love Colin Morikawa. Big fan of his. I think he's going to do well this week. So best of luck to everybody placing your bets this week. Enjoy the Masters. We will be back on monday night recording tuesday pot will come out or maybe monday night but we will get it out shortly with a master's recap enjoy it one pod this week one pod last week we're kind of spacing out some of the pods right now but uh enjoy it congrats to uconn and lsu national champs and we will talk to you guys on tuesday take it easy everybody